He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to episode four of Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll be your host. want to give the rest of these Munson's a wide berth. And uh, we're in the middle of a quarantine right now, so would love to hear, fellas. How's everything going in your end? Rigby, how about you, man? Going well. I mean, even though I'm living in New York, which currently has the most uh, positive cases of any city in America, I'm uh, being smart, wash my hands, not really going outside unless I really need to buy groceries and things like that. But being stuck in your apartment really does suck, It's uh, especially with no sports on. It does allow me to watch a lot of movies, but it's been about a week into it, and I'm already kind of tired of it. Hoping I can find new ways to entertain myself here over the next couple of weeks, but as of right now, I'm getting, I'm already, I feel like I've aged about a year in a week. We would be on the verge of some March Madness right now. Yep. Unfortunately, it's not going to be the case. James? Fellas, let me tell you, this quarantine has blown ass. Um, <laughs> I am about a month away from supposedly having my wedding, and let me tell you, I don't think that's going to happen. The odds, do- if you guys are missing out on some sports betting, I would bet against me uh, having my wedding. So a lot of moving parts, none of which are fun, specifically when you are cooped inside all day. James, I feel like I know a ton about it because I saw it on my personal account from both you and Kate, and then I saw it on the Munson's accounts. From you, both you and Kate. So I clicked through a lot of Instagram stories. Let me tell you, we did that so that I would have to stop talking to family members. <laughs> it worked. I get the same questions from the same people. And finally, I was like, oh, we're just going to post it on social media so everyone stops asking us the same questions. They were well-produced Instagram stories. So bravo. Hey, did you see the news? Like, yes. Yes, I also have eyes and ears and have been watching the news. I am aware that there is a pandemic going Craig, how's social distancing down in Texas? It's particularly dangerous for me. It's turned dangerous for me. Um, not only am I trying to avoid getting COVID-19 because of uh, no sports, I have started looking at the stock market. That has become a whole different danger. I'm I'm learning one thing every day, which I guess is a, is a fun prospect for that. But it's same thing as you guys. It sucks not being able to get out and do what you normally do. And but at the same time, I think it's I think it's been a good opportunity for people to to connect in different ways. And hopefully, we can use this to make us better coming out. We'll round it out, Warren. How about you, man? Wife and I are working from home and uh, with Chris Pratt on the docket, uh, going through the uh, Mouse Rat discography, formerly Teddy Bear Suicide, formerly (laughs) Department of Homeland Obscurity, Flames for Flames, Muscle Confusion, Nothing Rhymes with Orange, Everything Rhymes with Orange, Punch Face Champions, Rad Wagon, Puppy Pendulum, Possum Pendulum, Penis Pendulum, (laughs) Handrail Suicide, Angel Snag, Just the Tip, Three Skin, Jet Black Pope, and Scarecrow Boat. Is that every band name he has on Parks and Rec? Yes. <laughs> Impressive, man. <laughs> One of the best running jokes on that show. By I want to pretend like you had that memorized, that you didn't have it written Yeah, down. right. Close my eyes. It's etched. Hey, you, you used to know the whole Joe Dirt thing by heart, so I wouldn't be surprised. That's due to my mom. Funny story here. We're driving up in the summer from Houston up to Indiana. My sister and I were watching Joe Dirt in the back. My mom always thought the fireworks part was hilarious. And she handed me a piece of paper and she was like, write all the Joe Dirt fireworks. (laughs) And I looked at my mom. I was like, fuck, no, I'm not going to do this. And she she pulled over on the freeway and she was like, write them down or else I'm not driving anymore. (laughs) So I, I wrote them down on a piece of paper and it stuck with me. True story. I had no clue your mom was such a big Joe Dirt fan. You got to pass that tradition down to your kid. Yeah, my dad's really the true fan, but my my mom just loved that part. And I actually gave her shit about it the other day. (laughs) Over here in my world, quarantine-wise, again, Kelsey and I are working from home. I'm sitting in my room on my laptop. I don't have the extra screen running, so I feel limited in my capacity right now. I gave the extra screen to the lady. I did the gentlemanly thing. And uh, just trying to survive and not get sick, man. All right, IMDb birthdays, March 26th. Warren, who we got? All right. So we we got some good ones here. Uh, In the past, we've had some duds, even though they're great actors. These are a little bit more recognizable. First off, we've got Leslie Mann. This is 40, Blockers, The Other Woman, one of the the very uh, talented half of the Judd Apatow 
uh, Leslie Mann duo, a uh, real power couple in uh, in Hollywood. So how old is Leslie Mann? Before anybody guesses, uh, what's the first quote or movie line that you think of when you think of Leslie Mann? Let's get some fucking French toast. <laughs> <laughs> Fucker came out of nowhere. They're all going to be from 40-year-old virgin. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, that's all I could think. I mean, she was in Cable Guy, too, but I can't remember any quotes from her character specifically. And Big Daddy. <laughs> that's true. Hooters, Hooters, Hooters. Oh, Big Daddy. Yeah, she was the... Yep, I remember Big Daddy. My guess on her age, I'm going to go 48. I'll go 40. Give me 50. I'll go 49. Oh, come on. James was 48. Oh, oh! let's go. <laughs> Damn. That's I went nice. first, and I was like, you guys just bracketed me. I was like, cheapskates. That's the first time ever. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm in the best position at 50 at that point, because we're doing prices Right rolls. You guys, narrow margins everywhere. Number two, Kira Knightley, Elizabeth Swan of Pirates of the Caribbean, Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, or whatever. <laughs> the Duchess. King Arthur, uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, all that good stuff. How old is Kira? Every period piece ever she's in. I'm going to go 38, Warren. I'm going to say 42. I'm going to go 35. All right, I'm, I'm giving Rigby a tight window going 39. Back-to-back James, 35. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my God, yo. She's young, man. Yeah, she's super fucking young. All right, last but not least, Mr. Alan Arkin. Ooh. The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Little Miss Sunshine, and Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, dude, I like Alan Arkin. Oh, Alan Arkin's, that's a good one. 63. No. <laughs> Hey, he's older way, than that. Way older than that. Um, I'm gonna go eighty. I'm gonna go eighty-eight. One. Wow, that's <laughs> that's right. real. Old. I'm going seventy. If he's that he's, old, he's been in movies since like the fifties. I think I'll say seventy-three. That's seventy-eight. He is eighty-six years old. Wow. Oh yeah. So while Rigby was the closest, uh, prices right rules uh, bend him over. James got two. Hickman got one. But but the two on the dot. That's gotta be thirty points. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> There are a bunch of other birthdays who Leonard Nimoy, you know, R.I.P. Oh, that's the director of Holy Matrimony. Yes, that is true. <laughs> that is the only thing he's known for. Uh, but he, it was also his birthday. Happy birthday to all those people. Thank you, Warren. As always, we pull five actors from our massive list by a random number generator. Uh, we throw them on the wheel, and the five we were picking from this week or Jesse Plemons, Laura Dern, Aaron Eckhart, James Vanderbeek, and Chris Pratt. Luckily, the wheel decided, and we're going with Chris Pratt this week. It seems to be a fan favorite. We're going to cover the career and accomplishments, or lack thereof, of Chris Pratt. As always, we'll start with a little bit of actor trivia. James, what do you got for us? So for everyone, again, just to go over the rules, these are going to be three facts. Two of them are going to be true. One is going to be a lie. Um, and you guys are going to guess on him. So we'll start now. And one's going to be a Vin Diesel fact, right? I did not say that. (laughs) Um, He was actually a very talented high school wrestler and placed fifth in his state in high school. Credits wrestling for his ability to control his weight for roles, which has fluctuated between 215 to almost 300 pounds throughout his career, which is bananas. Number two, he dropped out of community college after one semester and was homeless, Uh, He was living out of his van and working as a waiter and a stripper before landing his first acting job. And number three, in 2017, Avengers uh, Avengers Infinity War had just started filming, and with the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, he was the third highest paid actor in Hollywood, bringing in just over $54 million. (laughs) It couldn't have been any better. Um, I'll let one of you guys go. I think three is the lie, because I think that's probably a Vin Diesel fact. (laughs) <laughs> at this point i'm looking more for the vin diesel facts than i am the freaking chris pratt ones <laughs> so your guess is number three i take it understood yep i'm gonna say that he was not in the, the physical condition to be a stripper before he started getting really big so he uh the stripper one number two is my lie Craig, i like your your call but uh from my personal experience weight really has nothing to do with people being strippers <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with number three as well because of the fast, the Fast and Furious. Movies. I'm gonna say this: when we're talking about an actor who is in several films with Vin Diesel, it seems like this was 
this trivia fact was built for this particular one. So I'm going number three as well. Well, folks, with the votes in, let me go through them for you. Number one is, in fact, true. He was a fantastic wrestler in high school. He actually trained with Randy Couture, who was the UFC champion at a certain point. His ability to fluctuate his weight for roles is insane. I mean, almost 100 pounds he's able to fluctuate uh, throughout his 12-year career here is really impressive. Number two was, in fact, true. He actually did drop out of community college after one semester, was homeless, living in a van in um, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. was a waiter at Bubba Gum Shrimp Company, as well as a stripper. Yep. Um, but yep. he wasn't good enough of a stripper to actually get a full-time strip club job, so he would only do private gigs. When, <laughs> when asked about it, he said, uh, I was never like Magic Mike, you know, referring to his physique. So then he said, so I just don't think I was a very good dancer, which is why I never got the full-time job. <laughs> and number three is uh, actually a Vin Diesel fact. That is correct. You guys are on the money there. Vin Diesel starred in Triple X Return of Xander Cage as well as Fate of the Furious that year. Uh, and he made almost $55 million. Uh, Chris Pratt made uh, $5 million that year. <laughs> 11 times the amount, huh? Yep. James, you're going to have to start digging into some other Fast and Furious actors for your, uh, for your facts, man. I think we're... A month I mean, this time. one was just lucky in that this was just lucky in that they were in the same movie together. It's going to be really confusing when we have a Fast and Furious Ooh. star that we're going over the, the Paul Walker episode. Well, the ludicrous episode, yes. Yeah, before <laughs> <laughs> Luda. No, it's definitely going to be Tyrese. That's what it's going to be. Before we get into box office history, this dude's got a super fascinating background. Other little facts I learned along the way, just do like learning about Chris Pratt. The van he was living out of was a Scooby Doo van. Fun facts. He was discovered while working at Bubgum Shrimp by a director. Mm-hmm. And these are the list of jobs that this dude worked at some point in time. Blue collar. So he worked as a room service waiter, burger joint worker, snack bar worker at a bingo hall, blackberry picker and seller, car cleaner, mural painter, babysitter, lawnmower, stripper at his friend's grandma's birthday party. His role as Andy Dwyer is really just yeah, pretty much. We thought that Regina Hall had like an, a weird path to becoming an actor. Chris Pratt took it a step further. Fascinating dude. The, uh, the waiting table story was crazy because that's the story you hear of people who are trying to make it in Hollywood all the time where it's like, oh, I'm just waiting tables while I'm trying to make it. But he was waiting tables in Hawaii, which is not you know this major film uh, industry mecca. And it just happened to be um, an actress director by the name of Ray Dawn Chong, who was from The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. And she was casting for a movie and he was her waiter and was like, wow, this guy's really charming. Do you act? And he's like, yes, I do. I would love to act. Please, God. Cast me yeah, 100%. I'm sure he delivered her entree like half eaten with it like on his <laughs> yeah. mouth. And he was just like, I'm sorry, I lost half of your food. And by the way, that director is Tommy Chong's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. And the film wow. that they did was called Curse Part 3, and it was never released. And that's the only film she directed. I hope she has like any kind of royalties off of him. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Like a finder's fee for sure. They're gonna release it decades later, right? The the early Chris Pratt work. So, Craig, talk a little bit about the snapshot in box office history. He's got the full gamut, right? This is the first time that we've done anybody that I had to type in a billion dollar number. A Jurassic World. He's got four of them that that did a billion. You know, two of the Avengers ones that he was a part of. And then the two Jurassic Worlds. But I left the two Avenger ones just because it's such an ensemble cast. The interesting thing is Jurassic World budgeted for $150 million And it, the profit on it was $1.5 billion. Oh, God. Whoa. Ten times the budget they made on that movie. He's got a really interesting box office snapshot because he's got some movies that in the box office, you know, 10 years only profited 286000 and then you've got, on the other end, four years later, he's in a, he's a star role in a movie that goes $1.5 billion. So he really has everything in between. The only super interesting, his box office, besides he's in four movies where they just printed money so they could pay everybody, the movie Her, its opening weekend, the budget for that movie was $23 million and the opening weekend was only 260000 Really? 
Now, does anybody know why that that's so low? Probably because it was just released in New York and L.A., I would imagine. I was going to say, because it's a boring fucking premise, but it's really cool. Oh, it's yeah. an awesome movie, but... It was a limited release. Um, it, it won uh, some awards at the New York Film Festival, and then about five, six months after that, they did a limited release, and then a month later, they, they put it out. It did well. The only other interesting one that's really an anomaly, and I think I brought it up earlier, anybody want to take a stab at the least successful film he was a part of? Movie 43. I was going to say Movie yeah, 43. Yeah, Movie 43. That's going to be my guess. Movie 43 was budgeted at $6 million and the worldwide gross was $32 million. What? So Movie 43 actually did better. Take Me Home Tonight lost $15.4 million. Wow. It was budgeted at $23 million and it, it just got destroyed in the theaters. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But, I mean, I enjoy the movie. I've watched it a couple times on Netflix. Chris Pratt's like the Adam Dunn of, like, movies. He either has a fucking homer or he just, like, strikes out. So let's get into the the Chris Pratt filmography. What's, what's weird and interesting about him is he's only been in the game for about 11 years. So it's a very small amount of time that he's been producing films and been part of different films. He's risen in a way that is pretty impressive, or at least over the past five or six years. We're going to start with his first feature film, and that is Deep in the Valley. And Craig watched that along with a few others on the podcast. So Craig, tell us about Deep in the Valley. Chris Pratt plays this kind of lovable loser, works at a liquor store or convenience store. Him and his successful friend, who's about to get married, get into a transporting machine that ultimately sends them to an alternative universe where the universe that they go to, the reality of that universe is basically like a porn movie. It's a very unique movie. I I had a hard time kind of putting my finger on how I felt about this movie because on the one hand, there's some really cool people in this movie. My favorite person that pops up in this movie is... um, It has to be Diamond Jim. Shooter McGavin, baby. A.K.A. Shooter McGavin. I I felt like the movie was either trying to pay homage to the porn industry or it was trying to parody. It it fell short on both of them and it just landed somewhere. It just landed somewhere that that was off the mark. To me, it it felt a lot like his character from Parks and Rec. He was all right. The other guy was all right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I personally thought Scott Kahn stole the show and he was one of the few people in the movie and Diamond Jim, those two characters were the only ones that I felt nailed the parody aspect that I think this movie was was aiming for. Yeah, I, I did. I actually did a, a short little write-up because I watched it earlier today to play it out. So this is what I wrote. I said, picture the Jumanji reboot in Pleasantville, but instead of purity in the 1960s, it's porn. Pratt plays Lester, perpetually sweaty liquor store worker in cargo shorts who's obsessed with porn. He and his friend Carl get warped into an alternate reality via a strange porn viewer machine, which is like a photo booth for jacking it. <laughs> Everything in this reality plays out like a porno. All the tropes, cheerleaders, sorority girls, nurses, and big sausage pizza. <laughs> I actually, like, I really did think Pratt was hilarious. He's good at it, man. Uh, He's he's a since he's a porn savant, he plays into a bunch of situations and they always end poorly. <laughs> Kim Kardashian's in it, Tracy Morgan, Scott Conn, Denise Richards are all in it. I'd never heard of this movie, but it would have really fit in well on the late night Comedy Central lineup between commercials for Girls Gone Wild and various phone sex hotlines. <laughs> I get why it's poorly rated. The acting is pretty much it's, it's abysmal, pretty much across the board. But he was playing himself. I enjoyed. Dude, the, the names. I alone know, dude. I'm dying. Life. I'm looking. Make at me him. lol. Tracy Morgan's character is called Busted. Busted. <laughs> Unbelievable. Scott Kahn was awesome in that. Yeah. Just like twi- total tweeter, Rod Cannon. He always gets his man. Hey, real quick. It's directed by Christian Forte. I just looked up his credits on IMDb. 2009, he did Deep in the Valley. And, that, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for something else. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's his life work. Are you going to ask him to create another masterpiece like that? <laughs> that's Glitter Bay right at it. Right there. <laughs> just dropping it like a stop. Well, that's good because Deep in the Valley is his first feature film. And is, as we've said, uh, Chris Pratt is decent in a bad movie right kind of plays that i don't know loner porno obsessed guy that just gets kicked in the groin the entire movie warren 
got lowest critic score. Now, as it turns out, a lot of the movies that would have qualified for lowest critic score are all early in his career for the most part. So, Warren, I think you're going to talk about a, an amalgamation of films here for us, right? Yes. If Deep in the Valley had a rating on Rotten Tomatoes, it probably would have qualified. But the fact that none of the critics even offered up a rating of it it technically has a did not finish rating on it, so not applicable. So I actually looked at uh, two other roles of his, and they were both kind of minimal. Um, and so that was part of the reason why I watched Deep in the Valley as well, because he's definitely a main role in that one. The first one I watched was Bride Wars, 2009. Same year as Deep in the Valley came out. I saw this movie, yeah, I, I might have seen it in like 2009. I might have gone on a date and saw it. Guys, this movie fucking blows. <laughs> this it's the whitest and most basic movie of all time prep plays uh, a minimal role as Anne Hathaway's fiance Wikipedia describes his character Fletcher as a controlling boyfriend which is super laughable because the entire movie is about Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway bossing each other for control of a wedding date at the plaza in New York God, that is white yeah, that's it. I, I don't. I actually do not think that there is any other races present in this movie. No joke. He's the only person to act like a sane human the entire movie, and he gets dumped on his wedding day because uh, he changed. Super realistic. I'm not the target demographic. Wraps up real quick. Everyone's happy, so we're none the wiser. Then movie forty three. This is like a, a just. This movie is a a fucking like punchline at the end of a joke. It's. It's a horrible movie overall. There's there's some funny laughs like throughout it. Warren, it's like it's one of those ones that's like just a bunch of skits, right? Is that correct? Yeah, it, it's like 13 10 minute sketches. The basic idea, right, is that Dennis Quaid's character is trying to pitch his movie or his movies, and then takes the guy hostage and is just showing you his different pitches. Yeah, like really, the only the only thing this movie is good for is connecting actors. If you play like Six Degrees gotcha. of Kevin Bacon, because. <laughs> Everybody is in it. Warren, it didn't cost much to make because with a lot of these big-time actors, they just ask for favors for them to film these shorts. Apparently, most of them after won't even like identify with the film. They're like, yeah, I'm not really in it. And they're like, we can clearly see you. <laughs> you're in that scene with Jason, whatever his face is, the Batman and Robin scene. We know you're there. It's like, no, yeah, no I'm not one, in it. That one was funny. <laughs> the Batman and Robin uh, speed dating one. What's your favorite one, Warren, of those skits sketches which one do you think is actually not a complete piece of shit that one's funny but i i don't know if i've ever laughed as hard as i did with uh hugh jackman without a nutsack hanging from his, with his neck that was so fucking funny and that was what they started with they started the yep. movie with that skit and i was like oh my god this is gonna be the funniest thing ever and by the time the movie ended, I was the only person left in the theater. <laughs> when it gets cold and his nuts shrink up into his neck, it's just so yeah. funny. For the, the skit, it's uh, Pratt and Anna, Anna Ferris, and the, the sketch is called The Proposition. And they play a couple that's on a picnic, and they're like eating and all this stuff. And Chris is like, oh, I have uh, something to ask you. And Anna's like, I got something to ask you too. And they're like, you go, no, you go stuff and they're like okay on three and they go one two three Pratt goes will you marry me and she goes I want you to poop on me <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie the, yeah, the little sketch continues JB Smooth has a funny role and gives some insight to Pratt at a barbecue and Pratt ends up shitting his pants after he gets hit by a car and spoiler alert uh, Pratt and Ferris get divorced five years later in real life <laughs> Yeah, that's in yeah. real life. In, in real life. That's movie 43. It's fucking garbage. Yeah, he's got minimal roles in uh, both of those movies. Thanks, Warren. Appreciate you, brother. As we transition in the, the career of Chris Pratt, we've hit his lowest critic score in his first feature film. Between 2009 and 2011, there's two other notable performances. One we mentioned earlier was Take Me Home Tonight, which I think most of us love, but just didn't get a lot of box office love. And the other is Moneyball. He plays Scott Hatterberg from the Oakland Athletics. Any thoughts on his role in that film? He's great. The funniest part of the movie is when the David Justice character pins him in the like the break room and is like, 
He's like, what's your greatest fear? And he's like, uh, baseball being hit in my general direction. And then there's like an awkward pause. He's like, no, seriously, what is it? And he goes, no, seriously, that's my greatest fear. I thought that was one of the funniest scenes in the movie. But I thought for what that role needed, just sort of like a charming sort of aw shucks type guy who was sort of down his luck and they needed to gamble on to sign on their team. I thought Chris Pratt played that role perfectly. James, tell me your favorite part. My of favorite movie. part of Moneyball is when uh, the Yankees win anyway. It's this really, <laughs> this is really uplifting story about this team trying to figure out a way that they can win differently and spoiler alert they don't and they still have it and they won't ever <laughs> in regards to chris pratt he actually kind of looks like scott hatterberg i thought that pretty cool to see him cast there because that was right around the time i was seeing him in parks and rec which is obviously like launched his career when i actually saw them next to each other i was like i can kind of see it actually it kind of looks like money ball hits and then we run into his largest critic app which is a movie that critics really liked audiences not so much and then we was 10 years and james is going to tell us about that one so prior to 10 years coming out i first heard of chris pratt because i loved parks and rec his character of andy dwyer was by far my favorite character i think it was rivaled by nick offerman and you know ron swanson but those are my two favorite characters. I still quote Andy Dwyer to this day. I'll touch on that later, but I was a huge fan of his at this time, and I did not know that this movie actually came out. So watching it for this podcast was the first time I'd ever seen it. The critics gave it a 60% review on Rotten Tomatoes, and the audience gave it a 40% review on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll give you a quick synopsis and then kind of my thoughts on it. 10 Years follows a group of friends on the night of their high school reunion. Pretty obvious from the title. It's a 10-year reunion. The cast is an absolute all-star cast obviously it has chris pratt but listen to the rest of this it's channing tatum justin long rosario dawson kate mara oscar isaac anthony mackie ron livingston aubrey plaza like just absolute star-studded cast chris pratt's character is someone who actually married his high school cheerleader uh, high school sweetheart cheerleader girlfriend and has been looking to forward to the reunion so he can actually finally apologize to all his classmates for being such a bully in high school it's funny because his character's kind of like a more aggressive and less functioning alcoholic version of Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec. In the beginning, you think, oh, this is funny. Like, all right, this is this is clever. But by the end of it, it kind of turns. So after too many drinks, the jock-turned-family man ends up reverting back to his old ways and just is a dick to everyone. And seeing Chris Pratt, who's usually kind of like the lovable goof uh, who will say kind of mean things, but it's with a smile, seeing him actually just be like a drunken dick to people was a little unsettling but i think you know he did well in the role the problem i saw with this movie was not actually on his part at all and actually i don't even think it was on the cast part at all when it comes to my ruling i'm gonna side with the critics i'm gonna go with the 60 percent over the 40 percent. i think the movie's at its best when it wants to be funny but unfortunately that stops about halfway through the movie when it focuses more on the emotions of the characters and uh, what they're going through. The problem is the characters aren't that deep and a one or two note character works pretty well in comedies because it doesn't need to be that deep. But when you want it to be romantic and dramatic, the lack of character depth made it hard to care. Like I thought Chris Pratt's character was very funny. And then when you see that his alcoholism is a problem, it's like, I've only known him for like an hour. So like, I don't really care. And it was like that way with the rest of the cast. I think if it would have stayed more towards the comedy end, I think it could have been a great movie. But instead, I think it was just an average movie. No, I, I yeah, I completely agree with you. Like when they're deciding to go to the the deal, and they're like, "We need flasks," and they're like, "Well, dude, there's going to be an open bar. Why do we need flasks?" And they're like, "It's a high school thing. We got to take flasks." And they're they're at Chris Pratt's house, and he's like, "I don't have any flasks, dude. I, I don't know where tops are." Or anything. <laughs> And they and they look at his baby, and his baby's drinking out of a bottle, and they're like, "That'll, that'll do." <laughs> so they walk out like with with liquor and uh, baby bottle. That was funny. I completely yeah, yeah. agree with you. It's, yeah, it really it really does just yeah. kind of fall flat. It, the cast felt like one of those like New Year's Correct. Eve or like Valentine's Day movies where it's just like everybody under the fucking sun. It's just too shallow, and it's it's too short for you to really like care about anybody. I think the challenge with the movie is it had so many storylines it was trying to balance, and it just couldn't do it well right. enough to make it work, right? Like, Justin Long's character was pretty egregious, and they're teeping someone's house and they end up having a family dinner. It's just, I like what they did at the end with Oscar Isaac's character as the successful singer who wrote the song for this girl she had never heard it until then and realized it's about her i was like oh mm -hmm. that's cute 
that's a cool like way to round out the story. But other than that, I was like, eh, it's a bunch of successful, popular kids and we have to pretend like we care about them 10 years later. We just don't. My, my favorite running gag, though, was Aubrey Plaza finding out that her very white husband used to be only into black chicks in high school. And <laughs> all of his friends in high school were black guys. And they're shocked that he's married to a white woman. And, like, she's just flustered the whole night because she didn't know it. It's such a funny, like, random gag. She's like... Why would you hide that from me? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Overall, though, we think Chris Pratt's role nailed it. No, yeah, I think, honestly, Andy Dwyer is one of my favorite TV show characters of all time. And it started off with him playing that role again. And so I loved him in that role. It wasn't until they kind of turned him into, like, the sad character where it's like, wow, he clearly has a drinking problem. He's clearly still mean to people where I was like, eh, like. I appreciate him doing something different, but I think that's less about his performance in the role and more about the actual writing of the movie itself. All right, so highest critic score is the Lego movie. Pretty beloved film. Highest critic score for a reason. Rigby? Yeah, this one's got a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes from from the critics. And I think the audience is like, Close to that. I think I want to say it's 90 or something. I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of animated movies. I just don't really ever enjoy them i do uh real movies i should say um but i was pleasantly surprised with this movie i had seen portions of it on fx a few years ago i hadn't seen the whole thing this week i finally sat down i rented it on itunes and i watched the whole thing it's great it's it's incredibly clever um because it's not very self-aware when i i remember when i was when i heard that they were making a lego movie i was like oh god this is just more just like self-branding just like in your face like right right right. and it's really not that at all but basically chris pratt plays this he plays the animated version of what he plays in every other movie which is this aw shucks like kind of he's got a good attitude about life he's clever he he sings a song called everything is awesome basically like he loves his life the villain of the movie who was played by will ferrell hilariously by the way his name is lord business chris pratt is trying to be convinced that he is a prophet and he is the one to he's a master builder and has the power to stop lord business who has this this kryptonite tool called the craggle i believe it was called basically a uh a super glue but this movie's awesome because every voice the thing i don't usually like about animated movies is the voices sort of i picture i almost picture the actor like recording it and then it throws off them on screen it's weird i don't know why I just can never but i didn't really do that with this movie and i think that's because the voices play these roles in the cast were so perfect like liam neeson as like good cop bad cop was awesome like he was perfect that's like if, if i wanted someone who could be funny and who like you know the you know liam neeson you expect like a dark character but you also know he's got like a, fun, a comedy side so you have elizabeth banks play wild, wild, style. Style. wild style that's her deep right that's her she's, DJ she's the one who is basically uh trying to convince uh emmett who's played by chris pratt that he is the prophet and basically he is the one to help save all the legos basically you learn that this world that you've seen the first 75% of the movie is is the dream of this child whose dad is played by the real Wolf Ferrell. He comes home and, and finds out that the kid is um, messing around with the Legos, and that is why the character of Lord Business is based off the dad, because he's trying to destroy this universe that this child has dreamed of. So I thought it was incredibly clever. You think it's a kid's movie, but it's actually sort of works for all adult there's a lot of good like movie references in it that i think i respect the directors even more because a lot of references in these types of movies i feel like are like almost overly obvious but these really aren't you kind of have to be sort of a, a movie buff to like or not a buff but you have to love movies to really get them and i i appreciate it mm-hmm. yeah i i can't say enough good things about this movie i really can't um it obviously spawned another sequel and two spinoffs too so it's it's done well at the box office chris Pratt. I said it before, but he kind of nails the charming, sweet, do-gooder type guy who doesn't believe that he's the one who's, who's uh, tasked with helping to save the, the Lego universe. He's like an a animated version of, of many characters that he plays, and I thought he was the perfect type of character for this movie. Completely agree. I thought the digital effects in Lego movie were fantastic. I thought they were great, yeah. I, I completely agree. No disagreement on this end here. The first time I saw Lego movie and I was very skeptical for similar reasons, Rigby and that 
I was like, as ah, a kid's movie, it's a money grab. And then the fact that they like acknowledge it's a kid's movie and acknowledge that they can be making like money grabs. And then the main song is everything is awesome. And it talks about how everything's terrible the whole time. I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm hooked. They got the adults in the room to enjoy this. And I thought it was great. You're going to get lowest critic next time. And it's going to be fucking hilarious. 2014 brings us like a movie. And really what happens over the next three two to three years, 2014 to 2016, is when Chris Pratt's career just blows up. It goes from a lot of smaller roles to some career-defining, career-changing roles. Lego Movie's huge across all ages. And then 2014, we get Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously plays a huge role as Peter Quill. And Jurassic World in 2015, which we mentioned, was a huge box office success, which led, and both of those movies led to additional uh, sequels. Do you guys want to mention anything about those two roles in particular before we move on yeah with uh with guardians i was taken back by how not serious it took itself i thought with the way the other marvel movies were when guardians came on it came out the fact that it was focused on being like funny and lighthearted, and they knew that you didn't really know the characters but that it also didn't matter it was just kind of like sarcastic and cool and I thought it was perfect fit for him because in the first one, he, the entire time he's just trying to get people to like respect him and no one does. No one's like, we don't even know who you are. And he plays it off really well. <laughs> um, I, I also, it led to one of my favorite jokes in parks and rec is he again, has this like amazing ability to lose all this weight that goes back to like from when he was in high school in guardians. He's, he's ripped. He's absolutely ripped. And, and in parks and rec, he was chubby and doughy and, they reference it in the show and they're like, wow, Andy, like, how did you, what did you do to lose weight? He's like, oh, I just stopped drinking beer. And they're like, so the only thing you did was stop drinking beer? He's like, yeah, I lost 50 pounds in a month. And they're like, how much, like, how much beer were you drinking? He's like, I know, right? Probably a lot. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's like, like going from chubby to jacked and they're just like yeah dude i was just drinking like 50 beers a day it was my bad they also had him training to become a cop and so he was like running laps around the track it took him a long time to run around the track one time and then like two episodes later <laughs> so good guardians like I, I can't speak highly enough of it james you're completely right about about it being it, it kind of paved the way for like thor yeah. ragnarok to be this really cool it's it's almost to the point of it being like aware that it's a comic kind of like deadpool where it, it definitely kind of plays on some of the you know the jokes and the sarcasm but it as uh, a loser that i am and I, you know i'm really big into reading comic i've read a bunch of the guardian stuff like it couldn't be more accurate there is it's just a bunch of smart asses who are mercenaries at heart, but they really develop a soft side for each other. They're all from these like different paths, and for no reason should they really be together, but they're all like Kevin Bacon. It's, they're pretty good. <laughs> We're like Kevin Bacon. Yeah. What a bunch of a-holes, as he says when they're, <laughs> yeah. when they're evaluating them. Also, Guardians does bring us one of his best gags when he says, I, I didn't know how this machine works. Flicking off the, the guys <laughs> yeah. reviewing yeah. in the line. Oh, oh God. But Guardians... I mean, it's really the role that transformed his career in a lot of ways, right? Because it's opened up three additional films since then, and there are going to be plenty more to come. What people, James Gunn knew with that film, because un, unlike Warren, most of the, the folks who saw the movie aren't big comic book people. Well, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of people don't know the comics, don't know the Guardians, and don't know them like Iron Man or Captain America. And they're not really... They weren't part of kind of our cultural conversation. To make it something that's relatable and understanding, it had to be funny. It had to be humorous. And James Gunn took a chance on Chris Pratt in that role, right? Like he, he was not the type that would take on this leading man, huge franchise that's got a lot of potential in Marvel phases two and beyond. So it was really a game changer. But what it brings us to after Guardians and Jurassic World is probably one of the more interesting and controversial movies that he's been a part of. And I think partially because of the tour that he and Jennifer Lawrence went on to promote Passengers. So Passengers is largest audience gap, which means audience liked it, critics not so much. In that, there's a lot of controversy. And so I'm going to ask you guys here in a little bit your initial thoughts as to why you think this movie didn't go as well as people probably thought it was going to. Um, so just stew on that. But for our listeners, if you haven't seen Passengers, 
The concept is there's a ship with 5,000 passengers that are on a 120-year journey to a new Earth-like planet called Homestead 2. It's in the future. There are these sleeping pods that keep you alive for the 120 years. What happens is, if you've ever seen the movie Rocket Man with Harlan Williams, there's a similar plot device in that Chris Pratt's character wakes up out of nowhere. By the way, have you guys seen Rocket Man with Harlan Williams? It's got yes. awesome. Yeah, back in the day. I had that written down like 100%. <laughs> that, fucking, that fucking monkey. <laughs> There's no monkey in Passengers, but by golly, there are robots. I'm glad you guys appreciate that. So Harlan Williams. <laughs> Basically, Chris Pratt's character wakes up far too early. He wakes up, what, 30 years into the journey or whatever it is. He has 90 years left. He wakes up, yeah, 30 years in because the ship gets hit by debris. So it gets a, a huge... Right in the first couple minutes of the movie, hits this massive meteor. They don't tell you what happens. He wakes up out of nowhere. And he spends a year by himself with the bartender, Robot, as his only companion. Just trying to figure out how to get into the... Like, how to fix this thing. How to go back to sleep. How to get into the cruise uh, area to try to wake someone up. To try to help him. Because he's dealing with the existential dread of, holy shit, I'm going to die on this ship while everyone else is sleeping peacefully and will make it. As the movie goes on, more and more things start to malfunction. You know, it's foreshadowing for kind of where the movie's going. The, I guess the ethical dilemma at place in this film is that Chris Pratt's character stumbles upon a character played by Jennifer Lawrence, Aurora Lane, right after he almost commits suicide by jumping out into outer space. And so he's hit at his darkest time of loneliness and existential dread. Spends a bunch of time trying to figure out if he should wake her up because he's figured out how to do it. And so the entire film is basically about that decision he makes to essentially end someone's life and bring them out into this space and lie to them that, hey, I didn't wake you up. The ship w- woke you up like it did me. And then what you see the rest of the way is a lot of a, a lot of the other characters, like Lawrence Fishburne's character who plays one of the uh, the crew members who also wakes up without someone waking him up. It's really just a plot device to like provide commentary on his ethical decision, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Chris Pratt, like I was trying to figure out my like interpretation of Chris Pratt's performance, and I, I think given the script he was provided, he did everything he could with it. I don't think he's great in it. I don't think he's bad in it. Just kind of somewhere in the middle for me. So I don't know, any thoughts on Chris's performance and passengers? I think you're right. I think he really is just kind of like, uh, he's just constantly progressing the plot. And there is a part, though, when he has like a full beard and long hair. I was like, holy shit, he looks like he looks like Tom Brady. Did anybody else notice that? He really did look like Tom Brady, which says a lot about Tom Brady being like 43 years old and still being like this Adonis at football. I think this movie's challenge was that the expectations were so big with the campaign they put out that for a lot of critics, they were like, eh. It's just okay. I think that explains it. So I know James likes to ask, where do I sit, audience to critic? I'm probably closer to the audience because I like the concept. I've always enjoyed the concept. The The ending's not my ideal, so I'd probably give it like a 60, somewhere in that ballpark. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's terribly problematic. It's just not a great movie. That's our, our last film focus, but between Passengers, that's 2016, and now, 2020, we see a variety of roles that he's in. So you see him in The Mag- Magnificent Seven. He's in Guardians 2. He's in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. He's in the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. He's in Lego Movie 2. He plays a heavy in The Kid, which is a little bit of a different performance for him. And then he's in the Disney Pixar film Onward, which was in theaters before the pandemic hit. Uh, and I did have a chance to catch. He's, he's taken on some big roles and some additional sequels and just kept going with where his career was taking him. The other TV show I think it's worth mentioning we didn't mention is Everwood, which was early on in his career. I never watched the show, but I know based on the research I was doing that that's peak early Chris Pratt. He was also in the OC for a couple episodes. Per usual, I dig up a top performances list. Since Chris Pratt's pretty new to the game, he's only been around for 11 years. I found a top five performances from comingsoon.net. I always bring the reputable (laughs) sources for this. What do you guys think comingsoon.net listed out as his top five roles? And keep in mind, multiple movies, sequels, all roll into one. Guardians, Avengers. So Star-Lord is number one. Yeah, Emmett's on there for sure, right? Lego Movies number two. You guys are killing it. One, two. Jurassic World. Nope. Passengers. Passengers is four. Oh, boy. Scott Hatterberg. Scott Hatterberg is five. You're missing number three. Uh, his role in Magnificent Seven. That is accurate. Nailed it. Wow, Warren, that was really good. 
that brings us to our final piece of the Chris Pratt coverage, and that's rating him on the Munson meter. Who would love to get us started? And again, for our audience, we rate all these actors in the same types of criteria. So we, we judge longevity. We judge it based on pop culture impact, their range as an actor. What's the awards footprint look like? Do they have other talents, right? Do they sing? Do they direct? Do they produce? Do they write? And then what does their personal life look like? Are they a great human? Are they contributing to society? Are they a degenerate or anywhere in between? So who wants to get us started with their Chris Pratt Munson meter score? I'm going to give them a uh, 79. I think his pop culture impact is to the roof for me with the comics and Marvel and then also the Andy Dwyer role. Huge impact, just the comedy and everything. It's phenomenal. Stuff where I deduct is more of the the longevity. You know, he hasn't really been around. You know, that he really took off in 2013. It was when he really like caught a break. And you know, if you take if you take Marvel and out of it, it's pretty pretty minimal uh, acting wise. Like voice wise with Lego, still really good. But he he needs more roles. And like I, I would love to see more of the Scott. Howard type role it's a little bit more serious you know just just kind of go down a different path so i'm definitely excited to see what's upcoming i know he's doing a little bit in the new uh for movie uh they announced that the the guardians were going to have at least a little part in it uh that and then gun taking over the new guardians of the galaxy in like 2022 i mean i'll always love those i'm really excited to see what he does in them so 79 case what do you got baby I'm nervous my score is going to be kind of low, and I'm giving him bonus points from being a fellow Minnesota. My big thing on him, you know, longevity is, is going to hurt him. He hasn't gotten a lot of awards. Probably unfair category more so than the longevity because a lot of the movies he's in are just traditionally not award-winning movies. The thing that I'm starting to do with all these characters is, is I'm trying to find, like, one little thing that I like about them that I don't notice about anybody else. And with Chris Pratt, the thing that I love, anytime that he does something in a movie, like daring or takes a chance, when he's successful or he succeeds, he's got a genuine, like, I can't believe I just did that. And I really enjoy that about all his characters. And, he, and all the characters we talked about, he's done that. And it kind of goes back to the story that we were talking about with Moneyball, where, you know, he's like, oh, really? I, I'm nervous they're going to hit a ball at me. I enjoy him as a person. I, I really like him. And, and I'm, I feel bad that my scores are adding up the way they are, but... Uh, I'm going to give him a 66. Like Warren, I'm really excited about the next five to 10 years of his. I think we're going to see a lot of really dynamic and cool roles coming out of Chris Pratt. All right, James. I think Chris Pratt is wildly charming. Again, one of my favorite TV characters of all time in Andy Dwyer. Every line he says is hysterical. It's perfectly timed. And you could tell it's very much ad-libbed based off of his actual personality, where he's just kind of like a lovable goofball. He transitioned into a leading man very quick in his career and has had major box office success. Hasn't shown the full range yet, but that's fine. I think we can see more serious roles uh, in the future. I think right now he's in his sweet spot. That is why I gave him a 72. I think uh, the awards aren't there, but I do think the pop culture impact is there. Based on everything I read, he has a pretty inspiring story, and it sounds like he's actually a pretty good dude. So it's cool to see someone like this succeed. It's just, it just hasn't been the full range yet. It's been the charming, lovely guy. It's been the leader, the leading man. And I'm excited to see him uh, kind of transition into darker roles, potentially in dramas. Rigby, what do you got, man? I'm going to go 77, man, Chris Pratt. I'm with James. I'm kind of stunned at how fast he went from sort of a just a character actor to like a leading man, pretty much in a matter of like two to three years. Yeah, I would like to see him do a little bit more, to sort of take on a little bit more of a dramatic role here in the future. I feel like he's sort of mastered the Midwestern type, good good old boy sort of all shucks type personality character. I think he definitely has the potential to do more. I'd just like to see him get those roles. So I'm going to give him a 77. Yeah, I think the next, like you said, the next five to ten years, the sky is the limit for him. I think um, he's obviously got a huge follow. People seem to love the guy, so the uh, potential for him is is pretty large. I'll jump in last. The areas where I gave him high marks, pop culture, huge. You know, he sings, he plays guitar, he's got some other talent, so I gave him some points there. I think his range is increased over the past four or five years as an as an actor and he did win an mtv generation award oh wow something at least right <laughs> it's at least something yeah, it's better than getting slimed <laughs> that's true the kids love him right i'm not i didn't give him maximum points there because he's 
he's a household name for people between the ages of probably eight and 40, but anybody over that that doesn't watch uh, superhero movies may not be a uh, big on Chris Pratt. But the one area I knocked him was that he got some criticism a couple years ago when people said they were going to remove him from the Chris's Evans Hemsworth pine because he was part of a church that like not very friendly, to the LGBTQ community. That's something I just couldn't look past mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Notoriously, I tend to give the lowest score, so I'm giving him a 63 on my end. That will take us to what average score? That gives Chris a 71.4. Nice. Is that slightly ahead of JGL? JGL had a 70.2, so yeah, slightly ahead. Wow. And I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, and just just kind of looking at the, uh, the next few years, I've got IMDb up. Uh, onward, his last movie that came out, uh, his next movie that is in post-production right now, we'll see what delays happen from that due to quarantine, is The Tomorrow War, which he has been pushing a lot. Uh, it's kind of a futuristic, sounds a little bit like The Edge of Tomorrow, but uh, has uh, Betty Gilpin, Yvonne Strahovski, Chris Pratt, J.K. Simmons, Marilyn Rashka, pretty decent cast there. And then he's also got a movie based off of a uh, graphic novel coming out called Cowboy Ninja Viking. And that will wrap up our conversation on Chris Pratt coming in at a 71.4, which is pretty competitive comparatively to the other actors that we've covered so far. Before we wrap up this podcast, we'll throw out there who the next five actors are for consideration on our next episode, which will land on April 9th. The wheel will decide from this group uh, April 2nd. They will decide. The wheel will decide between Katie Holmes, Julianne Moore, Leah Thompson, Naomi Watts, and Craig Robinson. What are your thoughts? What would you like to see? Who do we want to avoid? Katie Holmes. Uh, That's disrespectful. Katie Holmes is the first actress I ever found attractive, so show some respect to young James Dean Imperio. I want to do Naomi Watts. I think Julianne yeah, Moore. You, you would. I think Julianne Moore is the the best choice there because of the amount of like amazing roles she's been in. I think the one I'd want to avoid the most would probably be Leah Thompson because the only thing I think I've seen of her has been like Back to the Future. See, that's why I want to cover Leah Thompson because I don't know if I've seen a lot of her stuff, so it'll give me that's a fair. bunch of new movies to watch. Be- Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Dennis the Menace too. Yeah, Den- Dennis the Menace. Craig Robinson would be fun just because we get to watch a lot of really yeah, fun he's movies, hysterical. Like, this is the end. And the good sell hard, live hard. He's, he's done some TV show work. And Katie Holmes, you know, Batman Begins. Classic movie, classic role. That wraps up episode four of Munson's at the Movies. As always, thank you for, if you've made it this far, we appreciate you listening in. Hope you learned a lot about Chris Pratt and you're looking forward to watching more of his films. If you haven't seen Onward, go see it when the theaters open back up. As Warren said, he's got a couple other projects coming down the pike. You can find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us at Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. If you have ideas for topics, actors that you'd like to see us cover, we can always add them to the list. Otherwise, any final thoughts from the rest of the Munson? Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't go outside. Yep, stay safe, everybody. Tell your friends to subscribe. All right, Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity.